Welcome to The Quest. My name is Alan Mulhan. This is the first in the series of the spiritual crisis of our time. We have explored various dimensions of the contemporary crises. The pandemic, the economic, the financial and technological. More will be said on all of these in the future. In this and the next few episodes, I wish to examine the spiritual crisis of our time. I wish to start by giving you some of my personal background in this matter so that you can, as it were, know where I'm coming from and introduce this mini-series with three matters that influence what follows. Firstly, a reference to my own quest, since my personal experience has informed everything that follows. Secondly, the metaphysics that I believe in and which emerge with greater clarity after these experiences. And thirdly, the work I've done for decades with clients in psychotherapy, which demonstrates, beyond any doubt in my mind, that there exists an autonomous spiritual drive in human beings, as Carl Jung made clear 100 years ago. Thus, you will see the foundation of the material in the episodes that follow. In podcast 14 of this series, I described a type of initiation, a death and rebirth, symbolically speaking, that I experienced ascending Mount Tupkal in the Atlas Mountains, subsequent to which I was filled with an extraordinary spirit that reworked me, so that it could express itself through me. Ordinary words cannot describe this, yet the gnosis I experienced felt more real than anything up to that point in my life. It felt as if it was an experience of the light, the same that brought the universe into being and had evolved it. Everything, all life, all consciousness. I could not have done this alone, so to speak, for I was acutely aware of my deficiencies and the enormous scale of the task. However, I felt compelled to, or rather something required it of me. It was like being pregnant. A time had come and something needed to be born. So I simply trusted to my muse when faced with something I could hardly comprehend. Eventually I would defer to her and treat the communication as real. This helped me enormously. The reason why I'm mentioning this again is not because of personal storytelling narcissism, but because of the tremendous importance of inner vision, as well as theoretical study and practical experience, which by themselves can never provide the answer. In my opinion, there has to be a visionary quest to be an anchor for the whole enterprise. I don't believe such visionary experiences give some objective, absolute truth. And of course, they are mixed with one's own particular background, training, cultural location, imagination, and so on. There is a certain resemblance and communality of visionary experiences across the ages, particularly with reference to the light and the dark, the death and rebirth experiences and so on. But visionary experiences can also have dramatic differences between them, which can be explained by the individuals having them or the cultures that they arise within. I'm also aware that the visionary quest is a gift to humanity and lies deeply embedded in the psyche and has been experienced innumerable times 
throughout the development of our species. With respect to the actual personal and illuminative experience on the mountain, it was not as if it gave me any concrete knowledge. Apart from my almost dying during the experience, it opened a mode of apprehension, an intense connection that turned off and on over the following months and which crystallised in the writing of a book, The Sower and the Seed, published in 2015. With respect to the actual personal and illuminative experience on the mountain, I felt it needed expression in a book which grew to over 40 illustrations, numerous poems and a text ambitiously attempting an interpretation of the origins, development and current dilemmas of human consciousness. From this emerged the Quest series of lectures, which have been in operation for six years, and examine the world's great visionaries. Also, from it has emerged this series of Quest podcasts, which increasingly address the crisis of the times we live in. I will now briefly summarise the contents of the book, since it contains the metaphysical viewpoint, which clarified within me and which forms the basis of these talks. Part one of the book explores the origins of consciousness from a mytho-psychological angle. The concept of immanence, a vast intelligence within the evolutionary process, is the underlying philosophy. Evolution as a creative, destructive spirit manifests higher orders of complexity, life, intelligence, self-consciousness, and then dissolves them. Part two of the book presents the human psyche immersed in nature and the realm of the Great Mother. The themes of fertility and power, applicable to all life forms, saturate the history of humanity, most evidently in this period stretching from 40,000 years ago up to modern civilizations. Part three shows the transition to patriarchal religious consciousness, whereby a violent separation from the world of nature takes place. These religions decisively altered world history and human consciousness, though at severe cost. Part 4 examines Hebrew, Egyptian and Greek creation myths as commentaries on the origins of consciousness and shows how the transition to consciousness from the unconscious, the birth of humanity, is inherently problematic since it creates a separation from the realm of nature and instinct. This rise of consciousness out of nature, on the one hand liberating, exciting and aggressive, and on the other hand its fall or separation into a separated egoic state is its central dilemma. Which, to repeat, is the dilemma of two opposing tendencies as consciousness emerges from the unconscious. The first one is a sense of freedom, excitement, exhilaration even, and power. And the opposite is a sense of loss of the participation mystique, of the union with nature, or the union with God, or the union with the Great Mother. This duality of liberation and loss go to the heart of human consciousness. Part 5, the Enlightenment and Scientific Revolution, essential for capitalism to emerge, needed a special change in consciousness provided for by Protestantism. However, capitalism is destined to undermine all religions and replace them with a thoroughly materialist philosophy. 
As well as being a profoundly creative system, industrialization is equally destructive and has, in recent times, produced enough weaponry to wipe out most of life on Earth, if not at all. To say nothing of the ecological catastrophe we are facing, resulting from modern technologies and industrial operations. A death potential in consciousness is therefore activated. This is distinct from Freud's idea of a death instinct, that is some inner impulse or desire towards death, but rather it refers to an activation and a development within human consciousness, which attacks life, believes it masters the planet, and essentially engage in a destructive relationship to nature, thereby undermining the very resource base of the human species, which lies in nature. It is said by some that this is a very recent development under capitalism. But the sad truth is that, from the very beginning of our consciousness, as soon as we were capable of hunting and organising ourselves efficiently, we were wiping out large animals on this planet at a frightening rate which is simply accelerated. If we increasingly attack and damage our natural base, then this is a form of species suicide. The only other answer is that we become artificial human beings and eventually leave this planet. It is suggested that humanity will undergo species trauma in the near future and remaining populations face either fundamental reform or inevitable extinction. Capitalism also presents many changes in consciousness during the stages of its development, including the latest digital age, where human consciousness is being fused with artificial intelligence. Part 6. No matter what the situation in the collective, the path for individual progress and even enlightenment or gnosis is open to individuals. At this point we move away from the collective aspects of religion and spirituality, to the purely individual, the relationship of the individual to the soul, relationship of the individual to the transcendent. This final section, the quest, presents a series of illustrations, poems and commentaries that show the search of the individual on the path of higher consciousness. The metaphor of the pilgrimage is used and shows essential psychological as well as spiritual steps on such a journey. The sequence of events of this part six quest section is following an individual, the pilgrim, who has home and family but leaves them to go on the pilgrimage, to go on the quest. There has to be a certain amount of separation at a certain age when one separates from the family system or the collective around one, which has contained one, and engage in an individual search, quest for spirit and meaning. The sequence is that there is a storm and the captain of the ship, who is, as it were, an heroic ego figure, dies. Subsequent to which, the pilgrim is stranded at sea and eventually finds the island with the mountains on it, which was the purpose of his pilgrimage. So far, and indeed throughout the whole series of events and poems and illustrations in the quest, this is symbolic of the inner journey. That is, a stage of life is reached after the midlife when one is far more aware of mortality, followed by a pilgrimage, that is a search for a deep inner meaning, followed by a loss of the ego, the capture of the ship, followed by stranded at sea, 
which is basically the inner spiritual state of the pilgrim. And then that is followed by him finding the island where he enters into a deep despair, the dark night of the soul. These are all steps of psychological development, the individuation journey and the spiritual journey, subsequent to which there is a transformation in the deep psyche of the pilgrim who, having confronted his despair and his agony and his darkness, can then rise towards the light, which he does, and uh, ascends the mountain and asks some fundamental questions about the nature of the cosmos, the nature of the soul, the future of the human race, and so on. Subsequent to which the pilgrim, after having received his gnosis, he descends and comes back to his family, where he is largely ignored and has to sit in the corner, as it were, and, and not to annoy people as they continue with their lives, inverted commas, after which he dies and ascends towards the light. This is a death and rebirth story, which was intended to be like Pilgrim's Progress, a great spiritual book in the 17th century, the last part of the Sower and the Seed, the Pilgrim's Quest, can be placed in any time. This is the perennial philosophy. And these steps of midlife, separation, loss, descent, rebirth and spiritual vision and return to the world are the, the archetypal stages of this journey. They are also the stages of the individuation process in-depth psychotherapy. Besides my background in a wide range of the social sciences, I trained in Jungian psychology and have worked for decades as a psychotherapist. It has been my constant experience that many people, in facing their sufferings, can find a light within themselves, which can bring healing and deep connection from an extraordinary source that many describe as transcendent, as if from another realm. This is not a matter of faith, it's a matter of empirical observation. I had become fascinated by this healing intelligence. It became clear to me that it lay at the root of the psyche-soma system in the human being and was constantly renewing it. Thus I found that healing energy existed in the soma, in the body, at all levels, and also existed in the psyche at all levels also. It is tempting to think Essentially, it arose from the same source, that is, a natural healing energy, a grail, as it were, within life itself. But as my thinking and research progressed, I came closer to the opposite point of view, that the healing source was diffuse throughout the psychosoma system. In other words, I came to believe that there was no one single central healing source, at least that was anyways observable but that it existed at many levels in the body and the psyche. I found ways of bringing it into the psychotherapy sessions with my clients and continue to find it a powerful healing tool. This impelled me to research it more deeply and resulted in a book called Healing Intelligence, The Spirit in Psychotherapy, Working with Darkness and Light, published in 2012, in which I got closer to this phenomena and expressed it as best I could. Thus, my psychotherapy practice 
has been deeply informed by transpersonal experience and research. Of course, I am not alone in this, and there are other therapists who also work in a transpersonal manner. However, it should be said that the great majority of psychotherapists do not work in this way. Moreover, it can only be taught effectively to those who have direct personal experience of it. It's not simply another piece of theory. Personally, I found two methods very useful for contacting the deep psyche. The first is the dream world, and the second is the use of what I call scans, which are activated within the psychotherapy session and essentially involve the client going into their inner world, a deep descent, accompanied, so to speak, by myself, the therapist. This can be a very powerful technique and is described in the book on Healy Intelligence. This is totally compatible with Jung's techniques also, as described in his essay on psychotherapy. Thus, with respect to my general metaphysical views, I essentially believe in an extraordinary universal intelligence that has evolved the universe in a process of creative destruction, a life and death cycle that permeates every part of it and has evolved all its life and consciousness. I believe all mystical and spiritual experiences, all religions and philosophies, are raising a handful of water from a vast ocean. Those that have made most sense to me, such as the Gnostics, Zoroastrianism and aspects of Hinduism, are those that suit my personality. I believe that the world of spirit goes beyond religious instruction, which often concerns itself with moral behaviour. I feel also that most religions are in deep crisis in the 21st century and a new spirit can possibly form in the times to come but will only emerge out of the multi-dimensional crises that these podcasts are exploring. As ever, there is a duality. On the one hand, it's perfectly possible that a dark totalitarian control could take over global civilization as a result of these emerging crises. On the other hand, it's also possible spiritual rebirth can take place. Another possibility is anarchy, chaos and breakdown, as we can see in various failed states in the modern period, such as Venezuela and quite a few other countries. The number of failed states has considerably increased in the last 15 years. I use the term 10 horsemen of the apocalypse because, as far as I can see, there are at least 10 interacting crises. And the word apocalypse is chosen not just to emphasise the deadly seriousness of the times we are in, but because the apocalypse reveals, indeed that is the meaning of the word in Greek, our human involvement in these crises, how they are all caused, every one of them, by the behaviour of our species. If this is grasped, then it becomes clearer that it is the large-scale, extensive reform of the human species that is required. Life cannot continue, quote, as normal, unquote, with a few tweaks here and there to adjust for climate change and energy use. We have reached a tipping point. Unfortunately, just as the dark and the light, metaphysically speaking, influence all aspects of our consciousness, so too, with the times to come, there will be a struggle for solutions. And some of these will be very dark, as just indicated. Many of you, no doubt, wish for a positive, possibly spiritual-orientated reform. 
that could reorientate humanity. But it could well turn out to be the opposite. If one looks at what is happening in China, one sees a model of total control over almost one-fifth of the world's population in a high-tech Orwellian state. There are no individual human rights, no freedom of expression or religion, except that allowed by the party, a totally materialist philosophy to which the population is forced to comply, and there is a frightening and accelerating depth and extension of surveillance. There is also a willingness to put a million people, the Uyghurs in Xinjiang, in detention or re-education centres, as well as to persecute and destroy the traditional way of life of Tibet, which had contained the world's oldest religion. If one looks to the traditional democracies of the world, they look, in contrast, very disorganised and confused. Out of the crisis of the times to come, if the traditional democracies of the world don't get their act together, stop disintegrating and provide decisive leadership for the world's crises, then the prospects are dark. It was Arnold Toynbee who argued that civilizations decline when their leadership cannot provide creative solutions to the challenges they face. Our challenges are not singular or sequential, but are multiple, parallel and interacting. Thus, although there is a tendency for specialists to stay within their specialism, it's become very clear that the economic and financial crisis are interlinked, which is fairly obvious, but also that the economic and financial crisis are linked in with the climatic crisis, that our industrial civilization and business civilization has carried the world into ecological disaster. It's clear to some people that the pandemic is also linked to our economic and business civilization, political situation, the expansion of human populations, the divisions in the world's nationalities and systems, such as those between China and America, or the East and the West. It's also clearer that the technological dimension is linked in, of course, to the economic and financial, also the pandemic. After all, it's been planes that have carried the pandemic all around the world in a matter of weeks. Also, if it did emerge from some accident in a military complex, the virus that is, then that is a result of technological innovation also. But stretching beyond these dimensions, these horsemen, there are deep connections between the spiritual crisis of our time, the absence of moral or spiritual guiding principles, and our economic system. Take, for example, the enormous problem of inequality is a moral question as well as practical one. Also, it's very difficult to envisage a spiritual rejuvenation in the 21st century which doesn't have an eco-spiritual dimension, that is, a changed attitude entirely, a moral attitude towards the earth and to animals, to biodiversity, to the life of this planet, and to readjust our sense of mastery and control and destructiveness and become more aware of ourselves as part and parcel of this sacred, miraculous, well, at least extremely precious evolutionary development. 
So we see that these dimensions are interrelated, interacting with one another as a system. To finish this podcast, I'd like to read out another poem from The Quest. I've read quite a lot of them already, but there are three remaining, the last three of section six, which now find their appropriate moment. The one I've chosen for this podcast is The Goal of Humankind, that is, the pilgrim having spent his time in the heights of the mountain and received various communications, asks the great nervousness about the fate of the human race. Here's the poem. The Goal of Humankind The fourth night in the mountain The pilgrim wished to find An answer to a question The goal of humankind A storm now broke above him His spirit was disturbed He passed beyond a threshold These are the words he heard From out of earth your race arose From animals evolved With gift of reason you were blessed With soul you were endowed. This paradise was given so that you could flower. It's ruined by all this hatred, destroyed by seeking power. When you awoke in consciousness, took apple from the tree, from out of nature you emerged and broke its unity. Arose you then as separate beings, the first that did evolve, to search for your true meaning. It's this that you must solve. The darkness that's within you is all your greed and fears. These instincts need to be transformed, or this will end in tears. The purpose of the human race is first to love the earth, respect its living creatures, and know each other's worth. You are the first to have a choice, to know both wrong and right, the first to be aware of self, to know both dark and light. Your task then is to know yourselves, your shadow you must own, then integrate your instincts and listen to your soul. For billions of experiments are in the universe, your earth is one among the rest, It's neither last nor first. The human race from Earth evolved. Till now it has survived. This is the moment of your truth. Your time, it has arrived. Your species now it must unite and end its pointless wars. This surely is no way to act, with nuclear weapons poised. Ambitions of the nations demand a heavy price. Your economic growth and power destroys this paradise. Your ego is the prison. Within it you're confined. Controlled so much by passions, by these you seem defined. But truth lies far beyond these, outside their narrow scope. Unite with the intelligence. This is the source of hope. Raise your eyes to skies above. The cosmos you will see. The stars are sands upon the shore in an endless sea. This planum 
it is seeded with spirit far and wide. There is a vast intelligence that saturates the void. Know that you are from the stars as well as from the earth. You are the living spirit of the universe.